0: If you would turn in your Bibles, the Old Testament, the book of Amos. We're going to be looking at a passage in Amos chapter five as the beginning for our lesson this morning. As we're going to be talking about gifts that we offer to God, as we come together here on the on the first day of the week to offer worship. That's one of the things that we are doing. We are offering this praise and offering worship to God. And there are other things that we might do when we give on the first day of the week, we are offering that the money that God has blessed us with, we're offering that back to Him. And our whole lives, as we're going to see in, in this lesson, that we give our life to Him. And so there's, when we think about God, how He has richly blessed us, there is also throughout Scripture this idea that we are giving something back to Him that we are offering gifts to Him. However, as we're going to see in this text that we're going to read here in just a minute, that there are times where man might offer something to God, and God is not pleased with that. And it's not because He's, like today, you might give someone a gift and they have a spoiled attitude and they're not happy with whatever it is that you give them because it's not exactly what they want. It's not because God is... Spoiled. It's because God is worthy of the very best that we can offer Him. Amen. And worthy for us to give Him the gifts that He wants to receive and that He has told us that He wants to receive. He hasn't left it to us to try to figure that out. He's told us what we can do to please Him. But too often, you have man has decided, well, I'm going to give something else. I'm not going to give what the Lord wants. That's what happened here in Amos chapter 5 beginning in verse 21 where God is responding to that. It says here in Amos 5.21, I hate I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. These words here that we just read might sound shocking to people today. Where God would be telling people, people who were worshiping Him, they're offering up burnt offerings, they're grain offerings, they're giving these peace offerings to God. And God is saying that I don't want any of that. I hate and reject your festivals, I do not delight in your solemn assemblies, he's saying to them, take away the noise of all of these, the worship that you're offering to me, take all of that away. Why would God say that? Well, in the case of these individuals here is because of their sin, he says, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They were not living righteously before God. They were not dealing justly with others. And so because of their sin, God says, I'm, God says, I'm not going to accept the worship that you offer to me. For us today, when we think about how we offer our service and our worship to God, we need to make sure that we are not doing so in a way that is going to be rejected by Him just as He did with the Israelites here. So in this lesson, what we're going to do are consider some gifts that God would classify as unacceptable, ones that He will not accept from us, because we do not want to offer anything that God would, as He says in these verses, that He would hate or that He would reject. So what are these types of gifts that we need to avoid offering to God? Well, the first of these, we can look over in 2 Samuel chapter 24 as an example of one, are gifts that are offered without cost, are the ones that we are not to offer to God. In 2 Samuel 24, and really this entire chapter deals with this, this account here, we don't have time to read all of it, but in 2 Samuel chapter 24, you have David sins by taking a census of the people, by numbering the people. It said in verse 24, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go about now through the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of the people. Joab tried to talk him out of this, but David, rather than putting his trust in God as he had at other times. He was putting his trust in the number of people he had and the army that he had. And so it says in verse 15, The Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. You have this pestilence that quickly moves through the, the people of God here the nation of Israel, Israel and Judah, and 70,000 people, 70,000 men of the people throughout the country, they died. So David, in order to correct this, in order to repent of his sin, you have Gad, the prophet, came to David that day and said, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruda the Jebusite. So he's going to build this altar. He's going to offer an offering there at that place, but he says this is going to be at this specific location. This individual, you're going to go to this threshing floor, and you're going to offer this sacrifice. Well, he goes to this individual here, Aruna, and he says to the king, why has my lord, in verse 21, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. And Aruna said to David, Let my Lord the King take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O King Aruna, gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. So here you have this individual. David comes and says, "I need to offer a sacrifice to God. That this is the reason why this, why we are doing this, because we need to stop this plague." And Aruna says that I'll just give you whatever you need. I'll give you the the land. I'll give you the the sacrifices. I'll give you everything that you need. He's wanting to do whatever he could to help out. David was the one who was told to do this, though. David received this instruction from the Lord that he was to do this so the king said in verse 24 no but I will surely buy it from you for a price for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God which cost me nothing so David bought the threshing floor of the oxen for 50 shekels of silver and so then he offers the offering the plague was checked the plague was held back from the people but David here he had this, this gift that was offered to him well, I'll just give this to you, and then you can make the sacrifice, so you can offer the burnt offerings and all of that. David could have taken that, but then it's not a sacrifice. He says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. That there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be something that we are that He was giving. Same as for us today. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter two and verse five, Peter said that we are to be offering sacrifices to God. First Peter two, five says also as living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are doing the same type of thing that David was. We are offering up sacrifices, but we are doing this here is as, as part of his kingdom people, the people in the church, as we are being built up in that body, we are offering these sacrifices. Well, what sacrifices are we making? What are we offering to God? One of those things, and maybe one of the most obvious things we might think of, especially in the context of what we are doing here when we come together on the first day of the week, is that we give of our means, and at the close of every service we have the opportunity on the first day of the week for giving, we can give back to the Lord as the, as you take up the collection to do the Lord's work here. And it says we are to do this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. This is one of the sacrifices that we are making. We are not... As David said, just well, if someone happens to give me some money, then I'll put that money in the collection plate. No, that's that's not what we're doing. We are making this sacrifice. We are making this offering. And what's interesting here about this is that he says to do this on the first day of every week. Each one of you is to put aside and save so that no collections be made when I come. There's an implication here in this statement that says you do this on the first day of every week obviously that means the church is going to take up a collection on the first day of of every week but also for us as individuals there may be times where we can't assemble on the first day of the week maybe we are traveling maybe we are sick or something like that we still do what he says in verse 2 on the first day of every week each one of you is to put aside and save that we whatever we would have given on this first day of the week if we happen to be absent for some reason we still set that aside and we're going to give the next time we are with the with the Lord's people with the church on the first day of the week because that's what we have planned. that's what we've decided to do what we've determined to do so this is these are the these gifts that we offer to God of our physical or monetary possessions we are giving these things to him that we are making this plan and making this commitment every first day of the week. We have planned this is what we are going to give. And if we happen to miss one week or two weeks, well, we're still putting that money aside and we will give that to the Lord because we have already designated that for Him. But also, beyond just giving on the first day of the week, you have Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We talked about this, I believe it was the lesson last week. But Romans 12 and verse 1, where Paul says there, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are giving ourselves to Him. This does not mean that, well, we are giving ourselves to God, and that's that's when it's convenient for us to do that. No, we are giving even when... it costs us to give. We're not going to offer to the Lord that which costs us nothing. We are giving our life to Him. And we are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, a continual one, day by day. We are giving our life to Him, and that's going to cost us some things. It may cost us certain friendships that we have, that people don't appreciate the commitment that we've made to the Lord. They don't like it that we don't participating in the same sins that they are they are engaged in that maybe we used to do with them, but we've given all of that up. We're not doing those things anymore. And sometimes we have to give certain things up. But we are giving ourselves, we've made this commitment, we are giving ourselves to God. So it may cost us some things. Jesus said we are to count the cost in becoming His disciple. We have to give ourselves to Him no matter what the cost is and not think, well, we'll just serve Him when it's convenient. That's not what He's called us to do. Also, another type of gift that is not acceptable to God is a gift that is offered dishonestly. The example of this is over in Acts chapter 5, where you have, this comes right after what we read about at the end of Acts chapter 4 where because of the extraordinary need that existed in the early church, where you had brethren who were in need, that they were not able to feed themselves, and we see that this coming after the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2, where you have people from all sorts of different places, as you can read about that early in Acts chapter 2, coming to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost in 3,000, obeyed the gospel when the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost and day by day God continued to add to that number those who were being saved and so you had a large group of people here now making up the church many of them were not from Jerusalem they were from other places but they're continuing day by day continuing in the apostles doctrine learning these things worshiping God continuing with the brethren Well, as they are here longer than they expected to be here, eventually their resources run out. If you go on a trip, you plan to be gone for three days, seven days, ten days, whatever it might be. And you might have a little bit extra in case something happens. But generally, you don't have enough to be there for a couple weeks longer, or a month longer, or two months longer, that you don't have the resources there to to provide for yourself in that case. So there were many in the early church there who were in in severe need because of the situation that existed. and So you had brethren who were contributing and doing what they could to help. Some were selling properties and bringing the money and and, and giving it to the apostles that so they could distribute it to those who had need. Well you have Ananias and Sapphira. They, in the midst of all of this, they do Kind of the same thing, but not exactly the same thing. Verse one of Acts chapter five: A man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and kept back some of the price for himself and his wife's, with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sell a piece of property, and some of it they bring, but they keep back some for themselves. Now that in and of itself was not necessarily wrong. And Peter's going to explain this. Verse 3, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after you sold it, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter said that you know, all of these others are selling property and giving the money, and that's commendable, but he says that this property was yours. You could have chosen to sell it or not sell it. That was your decision to make. After you sold it, you could have brought all of the money. That was a choice you could have made. You could have brought a portion of the money. That was a choice that, that you could have made. And that was, it was under your control. You could do that. The problem was not that he brought a portion of it, but that he was dishonest about it. He says that you have lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. Verse 4 he says you have not lied to men, but to God. You have tried to present this as if you were giving the entire proceeds of the sale. And you're trying to present that and we'll look at this great sacrifice that we're making. We're doing like all these others are doing. They are, they are falling in line with what everyone has done up to this point, or the ones that were able to do this. Peter says you could have kept back some of the price. It was under your control. But they tried to give this dishonestly, and of course they were punished for this. They were killed for this. And uh, great fear came over the church, as we read on here in Acts chapter 5, as people see that this is a serious thing. We cannot offer to God what is dishonest, what is deceptive. He says, You have not lied to men, but to God. They may have been able to fool others. And the only reason really that Peter knew about this was because of the Holy Spirit being able to reveal this to him because God, the Holy Spirit, they were the ones who were being lied to in this. We need to remember that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. There is nothing that we can hide from God. So if we are offering gifts to God, whether it's giving on the first day of the week whether it's we're going to offer some funds, whether it's money or clothing or food to help someone who is in need, we're offering these things to God. Don't try to be deceptive about it and make it look like you're making a bigger sacrifice than you are or you're helping more than you are. Simply give and and help and do those things and not try to deceive others nor to receive additional praise from others. Which very likely could have been the motivation. Therefore, Ananias and Sapphira, we're not going to deceive God. Be honest in the things that we offer to Him. Offer Him what is pleasing to Him. Then the next point gifts that we might offer to God that are not acceptable to Him are those that we offer grudgingly. And this goes back to what we have been talking about a little bit with the giving that we do on the first day of the week because the collection and all of that is what's under consideration in the context here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But in speaking about giving, he gave them the instruction that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And then in 2 Corinthians here in chapters 8 and 9, he gives it, gives them further instructions that really are about their attitude toward giving or in their giving. And in 2 Corinthians 9, Verse six. He says Now I say, now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We talked about on the point earlier about how we give to God, we make plans, we We set aside, this is what we purpose, this is what we intend to do, and each week we are making this decision that this is what we are giving to God, and that we are not offering it without cost, but this is something that is actually costing us something. But here, this is the attitude that we have. We make that decision, we're going to say, well, I'm going to give whatever it might be. And this is according to how we have prospered, we may give $5 a week, we may give $20 a week, we may give $200 a week, whatever it might be, everyone has different abilities, that whatever that is, we decide well this is what, this is what I've determined, this is what I'm going to give, but now here with the attitude that Paul is talking about, make sure that you're not giving that reluctantly or grudgingly. That you're not happy about having to do this. That, well, I'm doing this. I have to do it, but I don't really want to do it. No, we are to give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. We purpose in our heart, but it's not just because we're under compulsion. Not just because we have to do this. We have the opportunity. When it comes to our giving, we have the opportunity. This is one of the ways that as a congregation we participate and we work together in carrying out the work of the church. It's not... Everything that we might do. But that is one way that each one of us is able to participate in the work of the church and carrying out the things that the, that the Lord's church here is doing and spreading the gospel. And, and as I mentioned last week, helping to distribute materials that not just here, but also in other countries, that we are participating in that. We have fellowship in that. Don't think that, well, this is just something I have to do. So this is something that we are have the privilege of doing. Amen. We have the opportunity, and we ought to give cheerfully. When we give any give any gift that we give to God, whether it's the giving that we do on the first day of the week or any other type of service we might offer to Him, we do that out of our own free will. That was Peter's point when he confronted Ananias for his sin. That. You sold this. It was under your control. You could do whatever you want with it. He had free will. We have the ability to choose what we are going to do. And so we need to look at what our opportunities are, what our abilities are, and what, how we have prospered. And think of, well, what do I get to offer to God? What am I able to do and give cheerfully? We serve Him wholeheartedly according to what He has instructed us and how He has blessed us. So as we offer gifts to God, do not offer them grudgingly, but instead, remember, God loves a cheerful giver. Then the next point, gifts that are offered to God that are not acceptable to Him. Gifts that He never asked for. Ones that we might say, well, I think this would be good if I offer this to God or that that this seems like he would be pleased with this, so I'm going to offer whatever it is. I'm going to offer this to God. Well, there's an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 7 with David. This is earlier in his life, as we read about a sacrifice that David was making back in 2 Samuel chapter 24 in our first point about how we need to offer things that and or not offer things that cost us nothing. <clears throat> But here earlier in David's life, 2 Samuel chapter 7, he decides he wants to build a house for the Lord. The there's not a permanent temple for God, so he decides, I want to build a temple for the Lord. I want to build a house for the Lord. So in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 1, it says it came about when the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells within tent curtains, implying that well, I should have a permanent home or build a permanent home for the ark of God. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan assumed this was a good idea and assumed that God would be pleased with it. So here's David making an assumption that, Well, I think this would be good if I do this, if I build a house house for God, to a place to put his, put the ark of God that I'm going to do this because I have peace, that I've built my house, I've done everything that I need to do, so I'm going to do this. And Nathan, he, he agrees, he thinks this is a good idea. He says, go and the Lord is with you. But then in verse 4, In the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one who shall build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought you, brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, that I have been moving about in a tent, even a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I have commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God is saying that that this was the arrangement, this is how the ark has been housed ever since he brought them out of Egypt and the ark was made after they after they left Egypt and he asked the question in verse 7 when did he ever say why haven't you built me a house for the ark? Why haven't you built this for me? There was never a suggestion made by God that, this, that he wanted this. Now there was going to be a temple built. God did have a plan for this. It was not going to be David that would build this. It would be his son who would build this. but. His point here is that I never asked you to build this. I never asked you to build this house but David thought, well this would be good it seems good to me that this would happen that this would please God and should I should do this but God tells Nathan to relay his message to David that I never asked for this no, it was not something that David was to do the attitude or the The idea or the purpose behind David's plan was good. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to do something for him. And it's good for us to ask what we can do to serve him and to do his will. But we need to make sure that when we answer that question, what can we do to serve God? How can we honor him? We need to make sure that we are not answering that with assumptions. David assumed, well, it would be good for me to do this. And Nathan initially assumed that as well. That Yes, that would be good. You Go and do that. God will be with you. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 22, that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were doing all sorts of things that were supposedly in the name of the Lord but Jesus says you are practicing lawlessness you're not doing those things that I have instructed you to do or that I have asked you to do over in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 in verse 16 it tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness and verse 17 says this is so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. We have this idea of, well, I want to honor God. I want to do something to please Him. And there are churches all around us that are have all sorts of activities going on. And all sorts of so-called ministries that they are involved in. That, well, we're doing this to, to honor God. We're doing this to please Him. Look at all of these good works that we're doing. And really what they're doing is that they are assuming that these are good works for churches to be doing whatever it might be but we need to remember this passage here it says that the scriptures come from god they are inspired by him and they equip us for every good work if we want to know how to please god we don't need to just think that well i think this would be good and so i'm going to offer this to god this is going to be the service i offer to him this is going to be the the work that I perform, this is going to be the gift that I offer to Him. If we can't find authority for that in the Scriptures, then we can't classify that as a good work, because the Scriptures equip us for every good work, rather than offering gifts that He never asked for. We need to see what God desires, what He wants from us, and and offer those things to Him. Then the final point. Gifts that are offered inconsistently with his requirements. This is somewhat related to the previous point. But this is a little bit different. This is offering something that he's asked for but not in the way that he asked asked it to be done. This week I was working on the sermon and Nora came up and saw what was on the computer and saw the title of this and she said, oh, like, it would be something like Cain where Cain offered a sacrifice and it was not what God wanted and you contrast that with Abel and Abel offered the sacrifice by God and I said, that's a good point. That's not the one I was going to talk about and I was going to use, but it fits on this point. You have Cain and he offered this sacrifice to God but it was not by faith like Abel's was. Abel's was by faith because it was according to God's instructions. He offered of the... Firstborn and and Cain offered of the fruit of the of the land that that he was able to produce that wasn't what God asked for but sacrifice was made in both places but it was not Cain's was not what God requested or what God told them that he would accept another example of this which is the one that that I originally had to had in the lesson was Leviticus chapter ten where you have Nadab and Abihu and Their offering and what they did, and we see God's reaction to this. In Leviticus chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Nadab and Abihu, who were the sons of Aaron, they were offering offering incense to the Lord, but it says in doing this they offered strange fire before the Lord. They had gotten this from the source that was not what God instructed them, that they were offering from an outsider looking in, they may not have seen anything wrong with what Nadab and Abihu did. Incense is being offered, you have these fires that are burning, and and for an outsider looking in, it looked like, well, here, they're offering this worship to God, and it looks like everything is, is what God wants, and then all of a sudden, they're killed. and. A lot of people might wonder, well, what's going on? Well, Moses explained to Aaron, and Aaron should have been in a position that he knew, and and likely Aaron did know, and Moses is just reminding him of this. But Moses said that, that those who come near me, God says, I will be treated as holy. They were failing to do that. They were not treating God as holy because they were offering this incense to God in a way that was not... In harmony with what God's requirements were. They offered strange fire before the Lord. It was something that was different. There were similarities, but it was something that was different from what the Lord commanded. Remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus was talking with the woman at the well in Samaria, where He said that, that God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It requires the proper attitude that we worship God in spirit, but also that what we're doing is what He expects us to do. That we are offering this service to God that is consistent with His requirements. The reason why this is important over in Colossians chapter three and verse seventeen we have the instruction to to brethren here and just as applies just as much for us today where Paul said in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Nadab and Abihu, they offered this fire before the Lord, but it was not what He commanded. It was strange fire. It didn't matter if it was similar, it was not what He asked for. And so it was not accepted, and they were punished for that Paul says here in Colossians 3.17, whatever we do, we need to do in the name of the Lord Jesus, which as we read Matthew chapter 7 earlier, does not mean that we just claim that something is in the name of the Lord. We could be guilty of practicing lawlessness. This means we are doing things by His authority. And one example of this, when we think about what we offer to God, particularly in our worship, the verse right before this, in verse 16, He says, Let the word of God richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There are a lot of people in the religious world who worship God. They'll worship God on the first day of the week. They'll come together in assemblies like this, and they will worship God. And in their songs, as they have these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, That are that are being conducted in their worship assemblies. They're not singing, or they're not singing only. Sometimes they're not singing at all, but they're not content with just singing. But instead they want to add other things to the worship. Say, well, we want to have instrumental music. And we want to have those types of things, whether it's you know, a piano or an organ that used to be more common but then now that today with you have you have bigger churches and lighting and rock bands and and all of that sort of thing that well this we're offering this to God we're offering this service to him and they may be very sincere in that but it's not what the Lord requested it's not what he has instructed us to do what he's told us what we're what we see about how we are to worship him we offer, This praise, we offer this worship by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Think, well, what, what if we offer, also have, you know, we have a guitar or we have a piano or we have something else. What if we also bring that in here? Well, is that in harmony with what God's requirements are? Or is that something that is in addition to what God's requirements are? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We know what He has authorized. He's authorized us to sing, which is why we sing. And we do not have the authority for the instruments to be used in worship. It's not because we don't have anyone here who could play an instrument, it's because. We don't have authority from God to use the instruments in our worship. And so we want to offer these gifts to God, our worship to Him, our service to Him, in a way that is consistent with His requirements. Not think that, well, this is similar and we're just going to add these other things over here, whether it's instrumental music or any number of things that you might find in worship services in the churches of men, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to do what we know God would be pleased with. Because we do not want to be in the situation where we are like those that he addressed in the book of Amos that we read at the beginning, where he said that, I hate and I reject your festivals. Take away the noise of your songs. I don't even want to listen to these things. Our desire to serve God, to worship Him, to offer gifts to him that desire is good we need to have that desire but we need to be careful that the gifts that we offer are acceptable to him that we are making sacrifices for him rather than just offering whatever's convenient and doesn't cost us anything we need to be honest and open about what we are giving to him and not think that we can deceive him because we cannot do that we need to give cheerfully Not grudgingly or under compulsion. Offer those things that He has asked for, not the things that we've come up with that we think that, well, this would be good. No, offer what He has asked for and in the way that He has asked us to do it. Not changing those requirements or adding things to it, but simply doing it in the way that He has requested us and instructed us to do. We don't want these gifts to be thought of as worthless to Him. We want to honor Him because He is God. He is the one who made us. He is the one who blesses us with everything that we have in this life and also offers us hope for eternal life. So whatever we have to offer to Him in the way that He's instructed us to do it is a small way to pay Him back and to honor Him. We'll never pay Him back for what He offers to us, but a small way to honor Him for what He has done and for who He is. So as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you can be baptized to have your sins washed away. And if you have done that but have not continued in faithful service to God, maybe you've offered some gifts that we've talked about that were not pleasing to Him, whatever whatever the reason might be or whatever the the sin or shortcoming is, repent of that and pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.